it was a good church, but they had a lot of issues. How many know that uh, we all have a lot of issues sometimes? And uh, they were doing good things, but they, they had a lot of things that they're working through. And so First and Second Corinthians, um, Paul is, uh, he is basically correcting them and trying to help them. He started the church, Apollos is there ministering when he leaves, and um, so uh, we'll get into that and kind of talk a little bit more about that tonight. So if you need a subheading for 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the first part of this is going to be proclaiming Christ crucified, which I talked a little bit in, in the first chapter, and uh, we don't preach, uh, you know, if we preach anything else, we, we're a mess, and uh, we are to preach Christ and him crucified. How many know there's power in that? Amen. If you don't believe so, you'll find out so. So look at this. Uh, uh, chapter 2 says this. And when I came to you, brothers, did not I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among, among you except Jesus Christ and what? And him crucified. So uh, this is interesting that he comes in saying this because Paul, uh, when he when he comes to Corinth from Athens in Acts chapter 16, uh, 17, Paul is going, uh, he's in Athens and he's preaching and he preaches this famous sermon called the Mars Hill Sermon. Anybody ever heard of that? The Mars Hill Sermon. He's in Athens and he is speaking these things and some argue that it's the second best sermon of all time, uh, the Sermon on the Mount being the all-time uh, best sermon of all time, but uh, uh, some argue that it was just well put together. Athens, what we need to know about Athens and reason Paul did what he did was this. Athens was the home of philosophy and intelligence, right? And, and so, you know, that's where the smart people were. Uh, a, a modern day example of that would be Washington. I'm just joking, okay? Time out. Whoop. All right. I don't even want to go down that way. I don't even know if there's a modern-day place for that. But Athens was the home of philosophy and intelligence. And Athens had a 1,000 altars to various gods, a lot of little g gods, small gods. And they had one altar uh, that was uh, for the god, uh, the unknown god. And so Paul opened this sermon in Athens, uh, to the, uh, and he begins to talk about the unknown god. And he says, this altar that you guys have created to the unknown god... And this is who I want to speak to you guys about. And so he ears start perking up. And so there Paul gives a, a sermon, really a dissertation, if you will. And he explains who the true living God is. And he quoted from their poets and he discussed uh, some philosophy and he brought up their culture. And his sermon was well put together and it was given with precision there in Athens. A, a perfect example of a sermon. If you're a, a preacher or a pastor... Man, that's what you hope you communicate when you preach, and you, man, it's all well put together, and it is done with precision. It's given with precision. But here's the problem with Paul's sermon. The success of his sermon was minimal at best in Athens. It was really, um, many people mocked him. Some said uh, it would come back later, and, and uh, only a few people would believe uh, you know, would become believers. So Paul, who who was known for starting churches everywhere that he preached, um, that was not the case in Acts chapter 17 there in Athens. We see that Paul, uh, you know, he never preached or he never, if you go back through it, he never mentions there in Acts chapter 17, Jesus Christ and him crucified. He alludes to the resurrection, 
but he didn't give the straightforward simplicity that Jesus had died for their sins and risen from the dead. And here's what we can kind of, not to pick on Paul, because I don't want to ever pick, pick anyone's sermons apart, because Lord knows I don't want anyone picking my sermons apart. But, but something that he does here is he tried to be a, a professional, he tried to be relatable, and as a, as a result, rather than preaching the power of Jesus Christ and him crucified, okay, they, there was no church that was founded there. And that's a, sad, that's a sad thing. So his next stop is Corinth. And it would appear that Paul had a change of heart. And I believe the Holy Spirit got a hold of him and convicted him and told him, hey, you're off track. You need to get on track here. And here he didn't use any coaxing words or, or wisdom to be relatable to the culture. He just radically, uh, he went back to the method that is right, and that is Jesus Christ and him crucified. And, and sure, uh, the church of Corinth, was, it was a big old mess, and it had issues, but Paul preached Jesus Christ and the cross. And the church was established there. You know, it's simple. All we have to do is preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is the power uh, of, of the gospel right there. Amen? We don't have to add our flair. We don't have to have uh, all these different things. I mean, all you got to do is go on the mission field and go somewhere where there's not electricity and buildings and stuff. And all you have to do is preach the simple gospel message of Jesus Christ and people will come to know Christ. You know why? Because there's power in that. All right, uh, and so I, I, I see, uh, and I see something in this new generation that seems to be a little bit more uh, radical and a little less afraid to preach the gospel. I know we're a mess, the world's a mess right now, but man, there is a generation coming behind us who is not afraid to proclaim truth and speak truth, all right? Verse 3 says this, and I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not plausible words of wisdom so he's, he's probably relating to what he had preached in Athens here he said when I came to you I was I was a little bit uh, it seemed like a mess but but in demonstration of the of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men not in the wisdom that I'm giving you but in the what the power of God that's where our faith rests all right so the Corinthians were were glorying in their own strength they were wealthy and they had great gifts, and they were just, they were focused on that. How many know that sometimes it's real easy to get we-focused and me-focused, right? Uh, it, it really is. I mean, I, let's just be real and let's be honest. Lord, I, I can do this. I can, I've got this. And so, um, and you know, one thing I know about Jesus was this. Christ was glorified in his humility and his death. Do you know that? That's the difference. I mean, Christ walked in humility, okay? Yeah, there was times, I know, he flipped the tables and did some things, but he walked in humility. And you know what? What glorified him was his death. Come on. His resurrection. And, and so Paul is saying this, model Jesus in your weakness, you know, in our weakness. And let, let the strength be the gospel, okay? You walk in weakness, but you let the strength be the gospel, and don't get that messed up. If you want to be a teacher, if you want to be a preacher, let me give you some advice. <laughs> I like working from a place of weakness because where I'm weak, God makes up for a hundred times. But when I put my flesh in front of, of God and say, I've got this in a gifting, guess what? I am, I am going to fall really fast, all right? So his speech refers to how Paul communicated. His preaching referred to the content of his message, okay, two different things there. So 
Um, and, and oftentimes we see miracles sometimes followed his preaching. But miracles and signs were meant to magnify God and not Paul. So let me tell you something. What happens sometimes in church, people are delivered, people are healed, people are saved. That's not to magnify pastor or an evangelist or a prophet. That is to magnify God. But sometimes, listen to me, in our American church, come on, we like to chase our favorite preachers and our favorite prophets and our favorite all these things. But listen, in the end, that person is just that, a person. They are not God. God is God. He is sovereign, and only he is worthy of all praise. Amen? And if we aren't careful, we, we can uh, make it about the giftings. And Paul is simply warning us, hey, you need to remain humble. You need to take a step back. You may be gifted in an area, but listen, step back and let Jesus be the main thing. You're a good singer. Step back. Let Jesus be the main thing. You're a good speaker. Hey, step back. Let Jesus be the main thing. God's given you the gift to lay hands on people and they be healed. Step back. Give God the praise. It's not of your own. You only get those gifts by grace. I talked about that last week. So let's look at this. So this next portion, if you need a subheading, is wisdom from the spirit. Verse 6 says, yet among mature, the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it was not wisdom of this age or the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, verse 7, but we impart a secret, a hidden and hidden wisdom of God. It's a mystery in, in the King James Version, I believe it says, and that's something that is to be revealed. It's not that it, it can't be known, but it, it is to be revealed, which God decreed before the ages uh, for our glory. Verse 8, none of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So the rulers of this age here um, is rendered to the prince of this world in the King James Version. So, um, you know, some people would say, is the rulers of the age the people that were in government power in that time, you know? Uh, was it, uh, you know, Herod? Was it, uh, you know, uh, Pontius Pilate? Was it the Pharisees? Was it um, Caesar? You know, is that what it's talking about? But And those people, I believe they, they had an idea who Jesus was. I mean, obviously Pilate did, and Herod knew who he was, but uh, the, they knew of Jesus' miracles, and, and, and they knew that people were following him. But I'd say that they really, really never ever really knew him, all right? Different kind of know. You know what I'm mean? like? They didn't know him. They knew of him. Come on, there's a difference between knowing of somebody and knowing someone, right? Right? All right, come on, wake up. So and we know this. If the Pharisees would have known that crucifying Jesus would have turned out the way that it turned out, they probably would have said, hey, let's not go this route, right? But I, I don't necessarily believe that this is talking about uh, people, but I believe that this is talking about uh, the world of rulers or, or the rulers of the age. I believe it's, it refers to Satan. See, because Jesus said this in John chapter 12, verse 31, that uh, Satan is the prince of this world. And so Paul says this, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, right, in, in, in Ephesians, right? Um, but, uh, but, but against the principalities of spiritual wickedness in high places, Ephesians 6, 12. So he says that. So I believe the rulers of this age are Satan and demons, and that, that's what Paul is talking about. So Paul is saying if the demons and Satan had known that killing Jesus would have resulted in him being victorious, 
they would have took a step back and rerouted or redid something, you know, because, but they didn't realize, man, it, it's amazing. They played right into the hand of God. Come on, we're going to take him out. They thought, oh, we'll kill him, and it'll be a done deal. And boy, but they, boy, did they cut Jesus short, because let me tell you what he did. Three days later, he rose from the grave victorious and gave us uh, forever. You know what? We, we are freed from the curse of sin, the curse of death. Come on, somebody, right? And, and we can know that. Amen. How many believe that? All right. And so they, they thought that crucifying Jesus would get rid of him, but, boy, that backfired on him. So, but, you know, and that's been Satan's plan all along. His plans almost always backfire. Almost every time he tries something, God just, like, flips it around on him, right? I mean, I can give you a few examples, you know. We'll kill Jesus, and he was raised from the grave, and, and then they say these things like, well, well, you know, we could stop the second coming of, uh, of Christ and say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, think back to World War II, uh, and, and God used to, or uh, I mean, the, the devil used a, a man in Germany to create chaos in the world. And not only was this man just a terrible guy, but he began to persecute the Jewish people and began to, uh, uh, you know, kill them. Some six million Jews were killed, but... Um, and, and what happened after World War II, after that war, and, and Germany was defeated, there was so much sympathy for the Jewish people who had been disbanded from their land. Um, they, and they were given right to go back in 1948 and migrate back to the land uh, that was theirs. And so how many know that God works all things for the good? I mean, I mean it looked bad, but he worked it out. And, and I say all that to say this. God is sovereign, and no matter what the devil throws it our way, God will turn it and make it good. Amen. How many believe that? God's plan is going to be accomplished whether you like it or not. And I don't know about you. I won't be part of it. I don't want to be against it. Amen. And so uh, everyone look at your neighbor and say this. Hey, we're on the winning side. Look at your neighbor on the other side and say, hey, you're on the winning side too. Verse 9 says this. But as it is written... What, uh, uh, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, uh, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. So this is in reference to, to heaven. And, but, but I think Paul is, is adding or talking about this side of heaven as, as well. And so, or this life that we live now. What do you mean, Pastor? Well, this side of heaven uh, we as believers, we, we see uh, uh, things other people may not be able to see. You know why? Because as a believer in Christ, guess what? We have the Spirit of God leading us and guiding us. How many know that uh, Jesus said it like this, the Spirit of all truth, that, that he'll send the comforter, the Spirit that will guide you into what? All truth. And if you are a believer, the Spirit of God should be revealing things to you in your walk. All right? If you're with me, say, I'm with you, Pastor. You know, as believers, we have the privilege of having the big picture of eternity revealed to us. That's awesome. You know what? It's why, you know, Paul could say, if I had hope in this world only, I'd be a most miserable man. You know why Paul was so victorious in his life? He'd go to jail, be beaten. You know why? Because he saw the big picture. You know why? Because he was filled with the Spirit of God. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So who knows what God is doing? The Spirit of God. All right. All right. Thank you. I need that amen. Cheryl. 
the only person that knows what you're thinking right now is you. Spirit of God knows, but but only you. Same thing. So you want to know God, you got to know the Spirit of God. So look at this, John 14, 16, and 17 said, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Everyone say forever. Even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. So the non-believers cannot receive him, listen, because it's neither sees him or knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be where? In you. He'll be in you. So the Spirit of God reveals to his people that which human eyes can't see, that which human ears cannot hear. And we cannot stay in step with God if we are not being led by the Spirit of God. Let me say that again. You will not be led uh, you will not stay in step with God if you are not led by the Spirit of God. I'll give you a good example of this. You know, uh, Noah in, in the Old Testament was shown by the Lord. Hey, I'm going to reveal something to you. There's going to be a flood. And God gave him eyes to see and, and ears to hear, right? And so, and so he saw things. And so what did he do? He responded to what God told him to do. And for 120 years, he, he made this ark. He built this ark. And people were mocking him, right? And they were, they were just like, what is going on with you? And they began to mock him. But never forget, when God closed and sealed the door, those same people that were mocking him were banging on the door, trying to get in with him because Noah had eyes to see and ears to hear. I don't know about you, but I want to be a people that have eyes to see and ears to hear what the Lord is saying. Amen? That's why we... Uh, we've got to ask God like like David did so many times. God, search our hearts and our motives. Lord, help me to die to my flesh and my own desires. God, take these things out of me. But God, if my flesh is in the way of hearing you, God, please, Lord, get it out of the way. Amen. The biggest enemy to us so often is our flesh. We have pride. We think we know more than God. The Lord says, hey, I need you to do this. Ooh. Mm. No, you don't know, God. You don't know. You, you don't know that situation. <laughs> it's laughable, really, when you think about it. All sovereign, all, all knowing God. And, and yet sometimes we act like we know more than him. But, but, but it says this, but God will reveal his will and purpose through us. All we got to do is trust and, and obey him. Amen. Just look at Noah. That's a good example. Verse 12 says this. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Verse 13. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom and not taught by the, uh, I, I'm sorry, human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So he's telling them, hey, uh, that as the spirit-filled believers, we see things others do not, and we should be hearing things others do not. Why? Because the spirit of truth will lead you <laughs> into all wisdom. So as a result of that, uh, we look at the world around us with a different view than, than everyone else because they don't see like we see it. You know why? People look at this world that don't know Jesus, and they're like, man, this world is terrible, and this and this and this. And we look at it, and we know it's terrible, but we know that there's something else coming. Amen? There's an eternity. And so that, that's the beauty of that. So experts say this. They say, hey, uh, you know what? We're in a recession. 
and the stock market is collapsing. And you know what the spirit-led person says in Scripture? He says, my God shall, shall supply all my needs according to his riches in glory, all right? So I'm not worried about what the stock market does. I'm not worried about what happens in, in these things because God is bigger. Amen. Come on, God is better. God is more faithful than the government. Come on, somebody, right? God can hold you up. God can keep you, amen? He's got you in his hands. And so uh, the news anchor tells us, hey, war is heating up in the Middle East, and there's turmoil there. And, and, and now uh, uh, and, and we can know through Scripture and, and have peace about those things because guess what? We've read the book, and we know what the Bible says, and we know, hey, they're just playing into the Lord's hand right now. These things are going to come, come, and God's going to set up his final move. So look at this, verse 14. The natural person does not accept these things. Of the Spirit of God. You know why? Because they're a folly to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are, spirit, uh, they are spiritually discerned. It takes the Spirit of God to discern these things. I'll give you a good example. The natural man goes to Kroger and buys all natural salad dressing, organic salad and tomatoes and onions. Come on, somebody. And when someone pushes their cart in front of them in the line, it's only natural for that person to glare at them and give them a mean look. Come on, somebody. And after ringing up their groceries, the checker accidentally gives them too much change. And naturally, hey, we slip that money in our pocket and quietly walk away because, come on, it's the natural thing to do. Come on, right? And then he goes home and he eats his salad and he, and he drinks and he's somewhat merry only to realize that there's a hole it's not being met inside of him, and his soul drives him to look for something deeper and more meaningful. And then he goes to church and hears the scripture, and he's being taught, and hears him being taught and being discussed. But that person, because he's spiritually blind, those things are foolishness to him. He doesn't understand those things. A natural man is spiritually blind. You know, the idea that we're a free moral agent is somewhat of a misconception. You say, what? Well, what do you mean by that, Pastor? Second Timothy, Paul tells Timothy in, in, in chapter 2, verse 26, he tells Timothy that they were taken captive by the enemy against what? Their wills. The enemy got them. And they, they are, are blinded and are bound by Satan. So that is why it's foolish, foolishness to the natural man. You know, it's a lot easier to do natural things than it is to sit in Bible study. It's easier to go ride a motorcycle, right? Well, it's a lot more fun, Pastor, but it takes discipline. Come on, somebody. It takes discipline to be here, and you got to feed your spirit, man. Come on. It's easy, and you got to say, hey, listen, natural man, calm down. i got to feed this spirit, man. So look at this, verse 15. The spiritual person judges all things but is himself to be judged by by no one. So the spiritual man is able to put everything in perspective because they are being led by the Spirit of God. You know this, I'll say this, God is not the author of confusion. So if there's confusion in your life, I can guarantee it's not the Spirit of God that's leading you. All right, I'll leave that one right there. The natural or worldly person cannot figure them out, you know, when when things are chaotic. Um, you know, some people look at us and say, why do, you, why do you go to Bible study on Wednesday night? Why do you go to prayer night? Why do you go to men's and women's group? Why do you go to devotion? Why do you, why do you sit in an hour and a half service on Sunday morning? 
And why do you do that? I, it puzzles them because it's an enigma to them. It's a dilemma to them as, a, as an unbeliever because they don't understand the big picture. Look at this. Verse 16 says this. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. So how do you have the mind of Christ? Number one, he lives in us by his spirit. Spirit of God will lead you, all right? Number one. Number two, he has given us his word, which is the scripture, amen? So those are two things that are going to help you. They're going to help you out. Two things. Listen, that, that whole chapter two, man, can be summed up in those two things. You say, Pastor, why didn't you start there? Listen, being led by the spirit of God and reading the word of God. So look at this. verse, uh, Chapter three, he gets into talking about divisions in the church, all right? And I alluded to these in chapter one just a little bit. But he says this, and, and, and Corinth, there's a division going on, and, and there's these, this church, you know, some are saying, hey, we like Paul. Some are saying, hey, we like Apollos. Some are saying, we like Cephas. And some are saying, hey, we're just Jesus people. And they all are, kind of have their, their, their issues, and they're fighting back and forth. And Paul says, he says this in, in uh, verse 1 in chapter 3, he says, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. You know it's not good when the pastor comes in and says, listen, I wanted to talk to you guys about spiritual things, but you're all too fleshly. We can't talk about the good things. We, gotta, we always got to deal with this flesh thing. So we got to get this thing out of the way. He says, I was hoping I could address you as men and women uh, about spiritual things. But pff, you guys are carnal. So pff, here we go. We got to talk about this. The Greek word for carnal there is, is sarkonos, and it means this, fleshly. And, and, and if you're not familiar with that word carnal, it, the carnal person is one who is dominated by the inclinations and the temptations of their flesh. The one that succumbs to, to certain things that the Bible says don't do, right? And then he says this, he says, but as, uh, at, but as the people of the flesh, and then he calls them this, as infants, it would seem to, uh, to, uh, to make us think that he is referring to people who are new Christians or young in the faith. But, but no, he's dealing with those who are, who are basically not growing, and they're just at the same place that they were six months ago, a year ago, three years ago, and, and their spiritual growth is lacking. As a matter of fact, there's just none at all. So this is a problem that we see in our society. We have people who have been going to church five, ten years and battling the same addiction, come on, and walking the same way, come on, because they are not growing properly. You know, um, you know. here's what I do know. I, I didn't have to. My brother did, and he wouldn't mind me telling this story, but my brother had to repeat the third grade. You know why he had to repeat the third grade? Because he didn't reach the level that he needed to reach to go to the next level. And oftentimes, you know, why we, why we do that, didn't have the knowledge to go to the next level. And here's the thing, uh, spiritually speaking, some of us are still in third grade and are 18 years old and 25 years old and 40 years old. And we're, 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 we're infants. How many love babies? People that have babies. Right now, they're like, hold up. Yeah, I love my baby, but I need a break from my baby. I love babies, and I love it when they smile and they laugh and, 
and, and I loved it when my kids would look at me and say, Tada, or, and my Zaylee, she would, she used to always look at the camera and she would always wave like this with her fingers. I don't, I don't, and I remember that and I loved it. But here's what, here's what I know. If I came home to my house and my son, my 17 year old son Wyatt, was sitting in the playpen in the living room with a diaper on, with a pacifier in his mouth, I would come unglued. You're laughing because you're picturing him right now. And if he was in here, he'd be red. I would come unglued. Why? Because he's 17 years old now. He's not an infant anymore. Time to grow up. That's what Paul's saying. So, and he would later reiterate this in, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 when he says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I ate like a child. And when I became a man, guess what? I put away childish things. Time to grow up. And Paul is not talking about newborn Christians, but, but those who have been maturing and, and, and moving and, and, and those that, that need to engage in ministry. I say this all the time. You, you don't exist to come and fill a pew. You exist to further the kingdom of God. It says this, infants, as infants, and then in Christ. So the fact that Paul says that the Corinthians were in Christ shows us that they were saved. They were itty-bitty baby Christians. <laughs> they were acting like it. But, uh, but, but, but it says that uh, But instead of moving into maturity, they remained spiritually inept, and they were stunted. You know why they were stunted? They were mixing the world with the word. They came to church on Sundays, took in a message, worshiped, clapped their hands, raised their hands, gave in the offerings. But on Monday, they became the world. They had too much of the Listen, you got to write this down. I like this. They had too much of the world in them to enjoy the Lord and too much of the Lord in them to enjoy the world. I said it a few weeks ago, you know about riding the fence, and I won't repeat that probably ever, ever again in, in, in the pulpit, but those of you who know. But they had too much of the world in them to enjoy the Lord and too much of the Lord in them to enjoy the world. They had one foot here and one foot there. They were riding the fence, and thus we see a lot of, uh, of casual Christians do this all the time, week after week, year after year, no more depth in their walk in Christ. I'm the same Christian that I was a year ago. I'm the same Christian that I was three or four years ago. Number two, verse 2, I fed you with milk and not solid food. So the carnal man, come on, I'm just going to get right, right up there. The carnal man only receives milk. All right? I, I need it. I need it. Like a baby. Uh, man, carnal, spiritually, you know, young, uh, you know, at times they want to be held. They want to be attended to. They want to be pampered. They want to be burped. Come on, I know. And constantly have to have things explained to them. But the carnal man doesn't know what it means to, to grab this book on their own and to open it up, listen, uh, and, and to begin to read it and begin to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal some things to them day by day to help them grow. Look at this. For, for you are not ready for it. Paul knew it. <laughs> You're not ready for it. You're not ready for, for big food yet. And even now you are not ready. So this is some like three to five years after the fact that he had been there. He's like, man, you guys are still Drinking on milk here. And here's a simple way to tell if you're carnal or not. How, how is your appetite? How is your spiritual appetite? 
do you care about the meat of the word or are you solely just able to digest milk? Because according to Hebrews 5, verses 10 through 14, the milk of the word deals with what Jesus did for us. And the, and the meat of the word deals with what he's doing presently and what he's going to do prophetically or eschatology, uh, if you want to say it that way. Sure, we know Jesus loves us, right? And I'm grateful for that. Amen. How many are glad that Jesus loves us? I, I love that. That's beautiful. Those are great things. But I have to get past that principle into, Lord, you love me enough to help me to grow and mature me to the next level that I need to be. Right? A good parent doesn't let their kids stay in the same stage. I'm not going to let Wyatt, come on, he's 17 years old. I'm not going to let him stay in a playpen. I'm going to say, hey, buddy, you're 17 years up. You're old. You need to get up. You need to get a job, buddy. You're 17 years old. Come on, right? I know I'm, 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 I'm you know, so but we have to grow. Because why do you do that? Why do you, why do you tell your son that? Why do, you, why do you do that with your kids? Because you want your kids to contribute to society. You want them to be able to stand on their own. You want them to, to be, be good people, right? So, so sure, Jesus loves us, and that's, that's great, but we have to grow into that. And that never changes. But uh, what do I do, Pastor, to grow? Confess your carnality. God, I'm carnal in this area, and I need your help. I, man, I, I just struggle with that. But, but, but he will set you free by the spirit of God within you when you do this. You know, there, it's interesting. How many remember Dorothy's shoes in the Wizard of Oz? What color were they? Red, right? The ruby red what? You know that those cost $9 to make at the time, $9 to make. Shortly after that movie had been made, they, they went to auction and they sold for $12,000, which was probably a ton of money back then. It's probably like a billion dollars now. I don't know. Inflation's crazy. But, um, but they sold for $12,000. Why did the price of those ruby red slippers go up? Because one person wore them, Judy Garland. And there was the value in those. So, so it is for us. We, uh, the Lord brings value to us. Come on, somebody, right? And he helps us to grow, and, and, and there's value and freedom to us, and, and he works in, in us both uh, to will and to do his good pleasures, what Philippians 2.13 says. So uh, God tells us to share something uh, with others sometimes, you know. You may be in your car, and you may be riding with your kids, and those of you that have kids, and I do this occasionally, and the Lord will just say, hey, you know what? You know what? Share with them, uh, you know, on Wednesday night. Share something that you that you spoke tonight. And, you know, I'm like, man, I don't want to share with Wyatt right now in the truck. I don't want to do that. I don't want to tell him that I was talking about him being in a play, playpen wearing a diaper, you know, or, or something like that. And I, and I make excuses. Now, come on. You do the same thing. The only difference is you're at work and God's telling you, hey, I need you to share this with somebody. You're like, ooh, I don't want to do that right now. You know, break's almost over. Time, you know, I'm going to get fired, Lord. I don't want to do that. But. But here's here's what I what I could do, you know. If I came home from from work on on Monday night, and all I wanted to do was just go home and veg out on the couch and watch Monday night football, and, and but the, I get home and the Lord starts to deal with me and says, "Hey, Pastor TJ, yeah, he calls me Pastor, you know, just to kind of help help me along the way here, Pastor TJ. Why 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 don't you go ahead and grab your Bible right now? Oh Lord." Man, I had a meeting. I had this today. Lord, I, I did. I met with so-and-so. I went to the hospital, prayed with this person. I, Lord, I did all these things. Hey, Pastor, why don't you go ahead and pick up your Bible? Why don't you go to 1 Corinthians? Why don't you go to chapter 3? Why don't you read 10 verses there right now? Lord, 
my flesh does not feel like doing this because right now I want to watch football. And the Lord says, no, 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 no. I, I want you to do this. But here's, here's what happens to us. It's when we're a spiritually maturing person, when the spirit sets into us, you know what we do? We say, yes, I see the big picture here, Lord. More important than this game is something bigger. So look at this. Spiritual living doesn't consist of rules or regulations or, or efforts. It's simply this. Come on. I, I, listen, it's simply this. Consist of you saying yes and given the moment the Holy Spirit starts to deal with you. If you'll live like that, it's free because God will reveal, you, reveal to you and show you things. So uh, there's this guy, this great preacher. Uh, at the turn of the century, his name was Smith Wigglesworth. Anybody ever heard of Smith Wigglesworth? Coolest name ever in the world. Smith Wigglesworth, uh, he's a great evangelist who was saved. Let me tell you how he got saved. His wife brought a, a cloth, a prayer cloth. She went to a revival, got saved, brought a prayer cloth home. Her husband was really stubborn, and she he was a plumber. I don't know if that, that is a correlation there, but he was a plumber. He's really stubborn, didn't want anything to do with God. She brought a prayer cloth home, put it underneath his pillow, and began to pray for him. And God radically changed him. He got saved, but, but he had a powerful ministry, and, and God used him to heal people. God used him to deliver people, to free people. Uh, you know, there are cases uh, that, that are in history where he raised people back to life. Come on, somebody, right? And, and, I mean, if you read some of the miracles that he did, you would go, oh, man, crazy. Like, he did just crazy things. And it said, listen, it said that he would go no longer than five minutes without getting out his Bible to read it. That's crazy, right? Living your life and just like, oh, it's been five minutes. Excuse me for a second. Thank you, Jesus. That's good. Now, what was you saying? And it's not that it was rules and regulations. It was just the spirit of God saying, hey, do you want something deeper? Do you want something more spiritual? Do you want to do great things? Guess what? It's going to take some effort on your part, and you're going to have to subdue the flesh, all right? And, and so, so how do I overcome the flesh and carnality? Galatians 5.16 says, but I say, walk by the spirit. Come on, there's the spirit of God again, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. How do you get this fleshly man under subjection? The spirit of God will help you. The word of God will help you. Oh, it's amazing how fast babies grow uh, when they go from milk to solid food, right? I'll never forget when I had, had Zaylee, and, and she went from, from formula and milk to, to, uh, to food. They just go... Right, and they just begin to grow, and they just, and it's just so fast. That, but, but man, the same thing, man, same thing for us. Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow. Grow. I mean, something you know that song. It's so simple. It's so real. All right, verse three says this: For you are still uh, of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not of the flesh and behaving only in in a human way. So one of the signs of carnality is the inability to take the meat of the word. So if you can't read your Bible and say, oh, man, this is so boring, Whew. That, that's, that's tough. All right, I know, that's, that's tough. Secondly, it, it manifests itself, uh, and, you know, when we, when we have carnality. Secondly, it manifests itself in envy or jealousy or strife and division, which is what Paul's dealing with here, okay? Remember the big picture here. He's talking about division. 
envy always wants something else, right? When we want something else, it leads to what? Strife. Always wanting something else, uh, uh, which leads to division, right? So when we're always looking for something new, and, and this, this goes on and on and on. It's why we have so many people jump from church to church to church to church to church because guess what? They're looking for something else. There's some envy. There's some strife. There's some things. And, and this is what's happening in Corinth. And the believers uh, fought. Uh, they were split up with one another. Verse 4 says this, for when one says, I follow Paul, and the other says, I follow Apollos, and that's not Apollo Creed, okay? Uh, are you not being merely human? So he's he's saying this. You guys are just, you guys are being, your carnality is coming out. But but when, we, uh, then is Apollos, what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. And so one of the signs of a carnal church is, is a church that's fractured and its congregation is split. And, and that, that is a sign of a carnal church. We like this. Well, we like this. We like this. We want this. Here's how you heal a congregation that is struggling with division and is walking in carnality. Second Chronicles 7, 14 and 15. If my people who are called by name, my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land, right? He'll heal their land. And, and now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to their prayer that is made in this place. I, I, I love that bit of scripture. I, I, th I think of a great example of this. One time I was sitting in a board meeting. And I won't tell you where I was sitting in a board meeting. And I'll never forget uh, these pastors, okay? It was pastors. And, and they were talking and they were, they, were, they were fighting with one another over a simple subject. And I just sat over there like the young uh, guy I was. And I just thought, man, I'm not going to get involved in this fight because I saw guys turning red in the face and yelling at each other. And I thought, man, this guy's loving his neighbor. Uh, this, this pastor sure is loving people, right? And they were spitting at each other across the table. And I'm just sitting there just going, what is wrong with this right now? I mean, in my spirit, I'm just, I'm just like, man, these pastors are messed up. And, and, and I'll never forget the leader of that, of, that, uh, of that board meeting. He says, gentlemen, we're stopping right now. And he said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to pray. And he stopped us dead right there in the middle of all this. And we stopped and we prayed for just 15 minutes. And God began to soften our hearts. Come on. And I'll never forget at the end of that meeting, there was guys hugging, hugging each other. Come on and loving on each other. That's what God does. All right. Verse 6 says this. I planted Apollos watered. So uh, Paul's saying, I, I, I planted the church. Apollos came along and he watered. But God gave the growth. <laughs> all right. All right, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. I, I love that. Verse 8, he who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. So why are you splintering off, and who's your leader and who's not your leader? Apollos and I, and Paul's saying this, Apollos and I, we're not in an argument. We're in this together. I planted the church, and he's just there pastoring and watering, and I, I planted, and, and, and so, uh, and, you know, these things are going. So it's, it's God who works the miracle of germ, uh, germination and, and growth, right? Amen? 
I'll give you a good example. This church was founded and planted by a man, uh, Brother Cobb, in 1957, Shorty's Tavern. You know that? Some of you know that because you've been through growth track. You've heard me talk about that. Um, but, but, but he planted, and, and, he, and you know what? While he was here, he tilled. Come on. He did some, he, he tilled up some rough ground, and, and God began to make things. Other pastors came along, and they planted, and they watered, and they tilled. Come on. And then others came along. Some came in and said, Poof, we're going to weed some of these people out. All right. And others came along, and they planted. Come on. And, and, and so here we are. All of us serve a purpose. We're all vessels of God that God chooses to use, and God gets the glory. It doesn't matter who the pastor is. All right. Verse 9, for we are. God's fellow workers, so we're we're in this together. We're not um, we're not the same. Uh, so what are you saying, Pastor? God uses different kinds of people and different kinds of leaders to do His work. You know, uh, I'll give you a good example. Of this Ezra, uh, the the Ezra, he was when they escaped uh, Babylonian. Um, you know, they were in captivity in Babylon. Um, he he grabbed a bunch of guys to come and to reestablish the priesthood in Jerusalem. Right. And some of you know this story. Some of you don't know the story. And when he got them all together, he had he found out that they had all married heathen women, okay, or women that were not not Jew Jewish women. And and, and he and he was so distraught. Ezra was so distraught. How many knows what he did? You know what? He was so upset over this that these guys. He reached up and he grabbed his beard and plucked his beard out. Now that's in, insane, right? That seems crazy, right? He was so remorse. But look at this. Uh, here's the next next flip side of that story. Years later, here comes Nehemiah. Also, uh, you know, he came out of Babylonian with the Jews, and and he saw these men who were married to the heathen women, and he he didn't pluck out his own hair. You know what he, Nehemiah did? He handled it a little bit different. He went to the men and he plucked their hair out. He grabbed them by the head of the hair and plucked their hair, hair out. Now, two different ways of dealing with things, right? Some of you said, boy, I'd like to be in Ezra's group, not Nehemiah's group, right? Uh, but who was right and who was wrong? They were both right. Ezra, he was brokenhearted. He was he was sensitive. And, and Nehemiah, he was like, man, we have got to get down to business and stop this foolishness. Both, in both cases, it's interesting, both, both cases, the people repented. Amen. How many know God will use whoever he wants? I like this bit right here. You are God's field. The King James Version says you are God's husbandry. Or, or, and and the, the word field is actually correct here. It, it, it actually is the, it means the same thing. How many feel like that you are a, a field sometimes? You feel like the Lord tills you up. Come on. Lord, I'm in a season of tilling right now. You sure are pulling up all these things within me. And don't be surprised when that happens and God's dealing with you and he's working some things out of you. Feel like your life's turned upside down and it's tough and it's exhausting. Could be that God is just preparing to plant something new in you. Come on, to get something better out of you, to make you more fruitful. Here's another thing. He, Paul, uh, it's, it says this, you are God's building. So Paul shifts from analogy of agriculture to the architecture as if to say, God, hey, God's not done with you yet. He's still working on you. How many know that old song? He's still working on me. Come on, nobody in here. All right, all right, a few people. All right, all right. He's working on you. He's, he's working on you. But verse 10 says this, according to the grace of God given to me, like 
a skilled master builder. I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Uh, I like Paul's analogy there. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So the foundation of on which Paul built this church and all the churches was, was simply, it was not principles, but it was a person, and that's Jesus Christ. Upon this rock, and Jesus said, I will build my church. And Jesus said, with, with which rock? The rock of Peter's confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's what I'm going to build my church on is the confession that I am Christ. The church of Jesus Christ was not built on, hey, let's get together and make something happen politically. Wrong. It's, it wasn't built on, hey, let's launch a moral crusade. It's not what it was built on. It's not built on, hey, let's be socially responsible and let's recycle. And Nope, that's not what it's built on. It has to be built and based on Jesus Christ, our Savior and the King of kings and the Lord of lords. All right, look at this, verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold and silver, precious stones and wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. So once we realize that Jesus is, is the Christ, everything he does from that point on is built upon the foundation, Jesus Christ. He's number one, right? He's a sure foundation. And the material is either uh, a few things. It's either wood, hay, straw, gold, silver, precious stones is what he's saying here. So for the day will disclose because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test that sort of work which each has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. Well, that's an encouraging word for a pastor right there. What are you building with? Every day, you and I, we, we, we build on the foundation that is Jesus Christ. And the question is, what kind of material are you building with? What's the difference in these materials? Hay, stubble, and straw, and gems, and gold, and silver. The first things that I mentioned, they'll burn in a fire. Gems and, 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 you know, metals, precious metals, you know, I know there is a burning point to metal, but they are refined through fire. So imagine all your life's work going into a huge fire, right? Uh, your, your whole spiritual walk with God, all your witnessing, all your, your worshiping, all your prayers, all your Bibles, your Bible study. John speaks of the Lord having eyes of fire, that when he looks upon us, will melt away any false idols and any things that, that, that are within us. So on that day. And the hay and the stubble that we tried to use, guess what? They're not going to hold up. Only the precious stones and metals. So, so let me ask you this. This is a good question. What is your substance? What are you building with? What is your, what is your substance? What are you building with? Verse 15. If anyone, anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss through he himself will be saved, uh, but only as through fire. So, um. You know, this is a good principle for ministry, you know, uh, honestly, truthfully, sometimes there's fires in, in ministry and churches and things like that. And I'm not talking physical fires. I'm just talking things. And, Lord, uh, you know, I've, I've learned sometimes you, rather than going and trying to extinguish every fire, sometimes you got to let fires burn because God may be purging some things that you don't know about. 
And so that's just some good advice. Verse 16. Uh, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells within you? So the Greek word temple here is not the normal Greek word that we would use. Um, but but it literally means the Holy of Holies where the Kabod or the Shekinah glory dwelt. So, so Paul told the Ephesians to grow into a holy temple. He told them to, hey, come together, grow into a holy temple. And how many know that we're living stones fitted together? That's what scripture tells us. We, we are. We're, we're fitted together and we're put together by God's glory and, and to, to give to the Lord a place to dwell in. So stones are rough, right? Some of you work with stones and, and, you know, you understand they're rough. And sometimes, man, sometimes you get a stone next to you and sometimes in, in church, the stone that God has put next to you will rub you the wrong way. Come on, how many know what I'm talking about? I don't like you. You rub me the wrong way. Well, guess what? God is just rubbing off your rub. He's using that person to rub off your rough edges. Come on, somebody, right? And as a wise, a wise stone doesn't try to uh, move locations when that happens. Oh, I don't like it over here. I need to go over there. It doesn't try to move locations. It says, Lord, let your will be done in me. And, Lord, whatever needs to be moved out of me, move it out of me. Help me. I want to be more like you. Verse 17. If anyone destroy God's temple, God will destroy him. Ooh, that's, that's tough, isn't it? The word destroy here doesn't mean necessarily like we think destroy, like to obliterate or to uh, but it literally means to diminish, to come down, to, to, to de-strengthen. So Paul is saying the one who defiles the church by either overtly or subtly causing division within the church, by, uh, by coming down on the church or pulling away from the church, he or herself will be dim- di- diminished. Their ability to be used by the Lord, their walk with the Lord, and even though the Lord will begin to diminish those things. Why? Why is the Lord so protective of his church? He's madly in love with his bride. He's madly in love with his bride. And so, you know, and so I know a lot of people try to tear the church down. You will not succeed, I promise you. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. So, uh, you know, Moses encountered God. What did he do? He took off his shoes, right? I'm on holy ground, right? The burning bush moment. And then in Joshua, uh, you know, when he was there with Jericho, he saw the Lord. He encountered God, and he did the same thing. Pastor, you saying we should take off our shoes? No, some of you have stinky feet. Come on. If you didn't laugh, I'm going to assume it was you. Uh, not necessarily physically, but, I, but spiritually, yes. I'm going I'm to tell you why. Because what happens is, and, uh, and, you know, some people, who takes off their shoes when you come into your house and leaves them at the front door? All right, you guys are good people. They say to do that because it keeps all the stuff that you've walked through at your front door. And how many just walk through your house? All right, yeah, that's I know, that's me too. I do the same thing. But but what happens is when we've been out in the world, come on, we get mud on us, we get gum on our feet, we get oil from getting gas, we spill some diesel on our shoes, all kinds of nasty things attached to our shoes. But when we come into this place, the whole where a holy God is, we've got all this crud on us, right? And uh, I'll put it to you in spiritual terms. We come in with grudges. We come in with attitudes. We come in with pride. We come in with, uh, you know, hearts that are quick to judge. But, but you know, it's interesting. Another thing I want to say about taking off your shoes is this. W- you know, when you go home, you take off your shoes because you are comfortable at home, right? And I know my feet stink, but it's okay. It's my house, right? I'm going to kick my shoes off. You're okay with that. In the presence of God, you know what? We ought to be comfortable in the presence of God, boldly come before the throne of glory. I'm not saying to come with non-reverence, but I'm just saying we should come in and say, Lord, I am comfortable here. 
in your presence. Verse 18. I'm almost done, I promise. Let no one deceive himself. And so he's talking about division within the body, Paul is. And he addresses three things over the last few verses here in this chapter. And this is something to take home. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in his age, in this age, I'm sorry, not his age, this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. Verse 19, for the wisdom of the world is folly with God. Now, all the wisdom in all the major universities across this nation is laughable to our God. All right? For the wisdom of this world is folly with God, for it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. Verse 20, and again, uh, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, and they are futile. So, first thing that he says to the Corinthians, you should you write these down if you want to. Uh, we're to stop extolling or patting, uh, patting yourself on the back. All right? Stop extolling or patting yourself on uh, You know what? These Corinthian believers, they were walking around with an air like, I know more. I'm more spiritually sound than you are. I'm walking at a deeper sense with the Lord. You, you're just a peon. You're, you're here, right? Uh, and so, uh, that's how many know that nobody wants to be around a know-it-all, right? Uh, I was visiting with a guy yesterday at a restaurant. G good guy, Christian guy, and and uh, you know, and, and I could just tell. I was like, man, I know this guy's a believer. He didn't tell me right away, but I knew he was, and we were just talking back and forth. And I said, man. Uh, and uh, I said, man, he goes, what do you do for a living? I said, I'm a pastor. He goes, and I said, man, you're a believer. He goes, man, you are absolutely right. And we were going back and forth talking, and, you know, and he was sharing some stuff with me that I was just uplifted in my heart. And then he went down this little bit of, of and I'm not mad at him, but he went down this little path, and he's like, I don't like this preacher and this and this and this and this. And, this. and I thought, man, why do you got to be that way? Just you know, we were we were doing good for that moment. I don't like the way these people believe or this and that. And I thought, man, I don't even know you, and you don't even know what kind of church I pastor. So look at this, verse twenty-one. So we we aren't to look down, or we need to stop patting ourselves on the back. Verse twenty-one. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or our life or death or the present or the future. So second, the Corinthians were to stop exalting others. And, 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 or depending on others. So Jesus asked in John chapter 5, verse 7, Jesus asked the man, do you want to be made whole? Remember that story? He says, hey, do you want to be made whole? And you know what he replied? I have no one to help me. No one will, will take me over to the pool. Shalom, no, no one will help me there. And so, and, and here's the thing. How long will we remain in the lame position because we're waiting on the next evangelist or the next prophet to come and pray over us? God's saying, I could free you right now. So we ought not exalt man, but only Jesus Christ. And here's the last, last little bit here. All are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God. So thirdly, stop excluding brothers and sisters. So in, in Deuteronomy, the Lord instructed the children of Israel to be careful while uh, swinging their axes. He did, you know. And, and the battle, in battle, because what was happening is they were, they were just, going crazy swinging their axes and in the process of swinging their axes and they're in the promised land they weren't really paying attention and they could cut down it and here's why because they could it this fury of swinging their axes they could accidentally cut down a tree that could turn around and be fruitful for them after the battle's been won and the same goes for us spiritually we can find ourselves chopping down trees 
give you a good example, trees that are not our flavor. I don't like that group of people. I don't like that kind of church. Be careful. I, I don't like those. That, that, they're not my flavor. But here's the thing. Those trees are fruitful nonetheless. Don't pick on them, the Lord would say. Don't pick on them. But why don't you do this instead? Why don't you go over to their fruit tree and say, I'll pick from you. Why am I why am I bad mouthing you? You you're producing fruit. Why why am I why am I doing that? So hey, listen, I can tell you this. I I love this. We are one body, we are one temple, and we are one church. 